Amen. Good morning, ECC. It is good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, we are going to be spending a little time there. Um, For those of you who have been coming, you know we have been going through the book of Hebrews. Um, However, we have been also doing a series called Rediscovering Church. And the whole point behind Rediscovering Church is to remind ourselves of things we forgot probably through the pandemic and three years of this blur called COVID, about what it means to be a church, what it means to be members of a church, what it means to pray as a church, to listen to the word of God, to have elders in a church. And today, we are going to be talking about serving in God's church. And as we talk about serving in God's church, I'm particularly indebted to two books that have helped my thinking, and I hope help your thinking on that. Um, One is by a friend, Juan Sanchez called What Do Deacons Do? And the other is How Can I Serve My Church by Matthew Emadi. I strongly recommend either of these little books to you um, to read when you have the time. So what comes to your mind when you think about serving or service? What's the image that comes to your mind? There's probably very many images that come to your mind. For me, the image that comes to my mind is a high school friend called Ochonga Manga. I went to a boarding school for high school, and pretty much the daily routine is at around 6 o'clock, the bell would ring, you'd be given a few minutes to shower, get your your life organized, and at around 6.20, actually at 6.20, we had this thing called morning work. And yes, it sounds as horrible as the term. You do work in the morning. It meant we'd clean the dorms, we'd wipe the cupboards, people would go clean the bathrooms and the toilets, And toilet duty in a boarding school is not so great, uh, generally. And everyone would avoid morning work as best they could, especially the unsavory parts of morning work. Except Ochonga Manga. He was the only guy who'd be scrubbing with a smile, even when it was toilet duty. He'd be wiping happily, in fact, sometimes singing. And so we all hated morning work, but we figured, okay, if I'm going to do morning work, can I do it with him? Because I hate the work, but I like him. He makes serving enjoyable just by watching how he serves. Now, unfortunately, Ochonga, in his last year of high school, due to a short illness, passed away. But what was remembered about him was that... Now, he was involved in many things. He was a good student. He participated in sports. I didn't even know he participated in sports, and he literally slept across me from the dorm. But what I and everyone who knew him remembered about Ochonga and his very short life was his service. As C.T. Studd, a missionary to China and India and Congo, said, one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And what I hope for us to see today is that serving the body of Christ is to serve Christ. And that we would live with a joyful eagerness to do exactly that. Serve Christ by serving his body. I hope for us to see that in three main ways. Okay? That we can serve Christ by being deacons, or rather Christ is served by deacons, Christ is served by deaconing, and Christ is glorified as the deacon of deacons when we serve one another. That word serve in the original language 
is the word diakonos, where we get what English word from? Deacon, right? So to serve one another is to deacon one another. And I hope we see that over the next few minutes. In your Bibles, in Mark chapter 10, we'll read from verse 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which, with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, when he came, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Would you help me step out of your way? Would you speak to me and speak through me to the end that our lives may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Forbid it, Lord, that anyone except you should get glory at this time. And so now, Lord, what we do not have, please give us through your word. What we do not know, please teach us through your word. And what we are not, please make us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Deacons, deaconing, and the deacon of deacons. If you're looking for three mental handles, that's it. We hope to see how Christ's body is served and how Christ himself is glorified by deacons, by deaconing, and we'll explain what that made-up English word is, and by the deacon of deacons. Let's start with the first one, deacons. Deacons are officers of the church who minister and model service for the whole congregation. Okay? What is a deacon? They're not just random things that are thrown around. The Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and here's the, the part you want to listen to, with the overseers and the deacons. Did you catch it? These are, these are official officers of the church. The church has two offices or two officers. The first one, overseers, also called elders or pastors or bishops. Those words are interchangeable in the New Testament. And deacons. Or consider 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office, to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, 
an overseer must be, and then it gives the qualifications or the job description, if you will, of an overseer. And then in verse 8 it says, deacons likewise must be, and then it gives a separate set of qualifications. Do you see? One office called overseer, elder, pastor, with several qualifications. Another office called deacon, with several qualifications. And these are the two offices of the church. Remember what this thing called the church is? It's an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. It is where heaven is represented on earth. It is where disciples who have believed in Jesus Christ as kingdom citizens have been sent on mission by God to go out and make disciples by proclaiming the gospel. For faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about Jesus Christ. And when they do so, those who believe are bound into this embassy. They become citizens of the kingdom of heaven as well. And God has given these two officers as part of this embassy, as part of the way he has structured his church to be served. Now, we almost all know and understand what pastors or elders or overseers do, right? Ephesians 4.11, that God gave the overseers, the pastors, the elders, to equip us for works of service. Oh, by the way, that word serve means diakonos, in other words, to equip us to deacon, but I get ahead of myself, we'll come there, that these overseers are designed to equip us, but what do deacons do? What are they about? When I was younger, I asked um, in my former church, a good person, good meaning man, like I'd been reading through Timothy and I'm like, hey, why don't we have deacons? Because the church I was in used to have deacons, but they got rid of deacons. So we only had elders, but no deacons. And I say, how come we don't have deacons? And he smiled and told me, yeah, we just didn't see the point of having two centers of power. Like, why have elders and deacons? Why have two people at the top, right? Because anything with two heads is a freak. Just have one thing called elders and do away with the deacons. And I was like, I, okay, I guess. But the Bible says deacons, right? Is that what it is? Two centers of power? A kind of counterbalance to the elders? No. Why did God give us deacons? to protect the church's mission and preserve and promote unity in the church. I'll repeat that. God gave us deacons to protect and prioritize the mission of the church, the gospel proclamation of the church so that disciples are made. And at the same time, he gave us deacons to preserve and promote unity. Nowhere is this seen more clearly than Acts chapter 6. So I'll ask that you turn there. And the situation in Acts chapter 6, right from chapter 1, they were told to go and make disciples as part of the, the Great Commission, that they would be given the Spirit to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, the church is born. By Acts chapter 4, you have persecution being faced. By Acts chapter 5, you have Ananias and Sapphira basically causing problems in the church. And then in Acts chapter 6, in the history of the church until this point, this is the biggest problem they face. Look at the problem and look at how deacons are used in this problem. Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, Hellenists, that word just means Greek-speaking Jews. So there were two kinds of Jews. There were Jews who were born and raised in Palestine, who are Jewish, quote-unquote, authentic and then there were Jews who had been raised all over the Roman Empire, in Tarsus, in Cilicia. And these guys spoke Greek and not Hebrew. Widows, both Hellenistic widows and Hebraic widows, 
were being given food because in the first century to be a widow was to be in a very difficult position. It means there was no breadwinner in the home. There was no way to feed yourself or your children. In fact, very many of them were quote-unquote relegated to a life of prostitution because they had to feed their kids. These widows have come to the church. The Hebraic widows are getting food. The Hellenistic widows are not getting food. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, in other words, the church, and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, in other words, the whole church. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. <laughs> so, so you and I reading that is like, okay, you guys weren't getting some food. Oops. No, this was going to destroy the church. This could break an entire church. Think about it. If you come here and we are serving and giving all, all good things to everyone else and we ignore the Filipinos, how long do you think it will be until the Filipinos say, forget you? Right? You can break an entire church by ignoring them. And in this case, not only would you break the church, you're relegating these widows to a very hard life. This was the biggest challenge the church had faced in their history. And what was the solution that God the Holy Spirit through his apostles gave? Let's come up with a strategic plan. Let's do a study. No, the solution God gave was deacons. The solution God gave was to appoint for the church to recognize and appoint people who would be able to handle the issue and distribute food among all people, equalizing the church, promoting and protecting its unity so it doesn't break. It's not that the apostle said, this is an irrelevant issue, we don't have time for it. No, it is because it was an important issue that they said, this has to be handled, but we can't do both. We are going to do a bad job at both if we try. So please appoint people who will handle this so that we can prioritize what? The preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the word, the making of disciples. These deacons literally hold the church together, allowing the apostles to do the proclamation work, which is why verse 7 says, and the word of God continues to increase, and the, multip the multiplication of disciples continues to happen, because the deacons protected the priority of the church, which is the proclamation of the gospel, and preserved and promoted unity in the church. Do you see? That's what deacons do. And even though they're not called deacons in this particular passage, they're doing deacon work. In time, they would be set aside as an office. Philippians 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that. And that's why we see the qualification of these deacons. So like pastors, deacons are Christians who should have four main qualities. They should be trustworthy. They should have biblical convictions. 
They should have blameless character, and they should have a love for the church. That's 1 Timothy 3, and I'll just walk you through it. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, they're people you can trust. It's hard. You can't trust someone who's double-tongued. They tell you this today. They tell you that tomorrow. They talk nicely about you. You turn the corner. They're talking badly about you. That's not a trustworthy person. Deacons need to be trustworthy. They need to be not addicted to much wine, not controlled by alcohol, not drunks. They need to be not greedy for dishonest gain. It's really hard to trust someone who's always looking to make an extra buck or might just steal. It's hard to have a finance deacon who you can't trust, right? Not only are they to be trustworthy, they must hold biblical convictions. Verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And what is the mystery of the faith? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That the mystery of the faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the thing they have to have clear in their minds, have no doubt about. They have to know that the word of God is the word of God. It is inerrant, infallible. They trust a sovereign God. And you see why that's important, because say you're the deacon for benevolence, and people come to you in hard times, lacking, hungry, hurt by life, and they explain that to you, and you're like, oh, you know, life. <laughs> no. You need to be able to direct them to God's word and say, actually, God is still in charge. I know it doesn't feel like that, but God is working all things together for your good, even this painful circumstance. That's a deacon. They need to have time-tested, blameless character. Verse 10 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Blameless character doesn't mean perfection. Blameless character means even if I throw an accusation your way, it just won't stick. That this is someone who walks closely enough with the Lord that their reputation and their character is clearly Christian. Then the last one, 1 Timothy 3.11, a deacon is someone who loves the church. Scripture says their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. In other words, how do I know that they will love the church? Let me see how they love their family. Let me see how they treat their wife. Let me see how they treat their husband. Let me see how they treat their children. That is a really good indicator that they'll probably do the same thing here. You'll see in Scripture it says, in verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified. Now, if you're reading in an ESV or NIV, any good English translation, they'll put a little superscript there at the A, at, at wives, a little A or a little one or two. If you go down, it will say, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. In Greek, the word for wife and the word for woman is the same. It's all gynaikis, where you get the word gynecology from. So the better translation there would be women likewise. In other words, the women who serve as deacons, or even women deacons must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded and faithful in all things. And what do deacons point us to? Because they're not just serving a function. They're pointing us to the king of kings and the deacon of deacons. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43 to 45, which you just read, it says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The word for serve is diakonos, right? So reread that verse with the word deacon. Here's what it says, Jesus speaking. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your deacon. And whoever wants to be first among you 
must be slave of all. Verse 44, sorry, 44. And whoever wants to be first among you, slave of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but to deacon and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is the ultimate deacon. He is the one who served humanity. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, holy and fully and truly God. He became man. Remember, he's God, which means he owes no one any service. Yet God, Jesus being the second person of the Trinity, of God, created these humans to do what? Serve him. In the Bible, both Greek and Hebrew, the word for serve and the word for worship is basically the same. They were supposed to serve him, but instead they chose to serve idols and serve Satan. That's why the great, com- the great commandment among the Ten Commandments is, starts with, do not worship any other gods but me. Don't serve any other gods but me. And man broke that. Chose to serve idols, chose to serve self, chose to, save, to serve Satan. But God sends Jesus. And speaking of Jesus all the way back in Isaiah chapter 42, 52, says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God realizing there was no way we could ever serve him truly and fully, chose to serve us by sending his son. Christianity is the only religion that has a God who's not only glorified by being served, but who is most glorified by serving, because he came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. How? By dying for you, by dying for all who would ever believe in him, that those who repent and trust in him would now be not just forgiven, but freed to serve him for life. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm talking to you. You might think I go to church, I'm a good person, I give. Those are all wonderful things. But you can't save yourself. There is one who came, lived, died to save you, who served you because you couldn't even serve yourself. That God is the one calling you now saying, serve me. Forget everything else you're serving. In fact, forget serving yourself. Serve me. And if you repent and believe, you have him as your eternal deacon. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ, think about this beautiful thing God has given us in deacons, right? Because they're not just ministers, they're models. They don't just tell us about service, they show us how to serve. Recently, I was at a friend's place, and um, his, his younger son was showing me this thing called a puppet. I've never heard of a puppet in my whole life. So apparently, it's, yeah, that look on your face, that was me. So apparently, it's this thing where you take a piece of paper and you fold it a specific way, and he actually showed me how to fold it, showed me how to fold it again, and then you like flick it and it goes pop, right? 
So yesterday I, I was like, how, how does this thing work again? I tried a few times, okay? I tried very many times because it was actually fun. And I went, pop! He didn't just tell me how to make a puppet. He showed me. That's what deacons are doing. <laughs> They're not just telling us how to serve. They're showing us how to serve. And we should shamelessly copy them. We, we have deacons in our church. Let me invite you to grab your members directory when you have the time, if you remember. Just open it and look at these guys. You want to know what serving is like? Copy them. Copy Myla Affable's quiet service without a need to be recognized by anyone, but does the projection so that all of us can sing praises to God. Copy Travis Ramsey in his tireless service of the men of this church to grow in their faith. Copy Cameron Zamora, who seems to have 28 hours in a day and serves the women of this church, helping them grow in their faith. Copy Daniel Tesfaye, who loves people deeply from his heart, cares about their physical and practical needs as our deacon of benevolence. Copy Elmark, who does all this music stuff, make sure the instruments are working, make sure there's actually people to sing. Copy Edgar Enoveso, who though he's an older gentleman, uses the strength God has given him to help in the setup ministry and carries chairs and carries tables. Copy Robert Titus, who it doesn't matter where you find him, he'll always be at that door with a smile, ready to welcome you. Copy Edabel Veloso in the nursery. Better yet, just go help in the nursery. <laughs> Copy Seble Wongel, who helps us with communion, that we all enjoy without realizing someone helped bring all of that together. Do you see? God gave us these people not just to hear about service, but to copy them and see, okay, that's how I'm going to serve. That's how Jesus is deaconing me. I'm going to imitate that. Now, how do deacons do that precisely? They take initiative. So we also take initiative. They don't wait for someone to tell them there's a problem. They see the problem and they rush to address it. They serve the whole church. They're not turfy. Like, this is my ministry. They're like, no, I want to serve the whole church through this ministry. They promote and preserve unity. Deacons are like the shock absorbers of a church. If you come from some of the countries we come from and you drive on the road, okay, calling it a road is a bit of an overstatement, but work with me here. Assume it's a road. And you get into your car with no shock absorbers, you'll basically vibrate all the way to your destination. But shock absorbers make it easier for that journey so that you don't start hitting each other in the car. That's what deacons do. The shock of division is absorbed by them, and they de-escalate the problem instead of raising the temperatures. The shock of people having drama with each other is absorbed by them. They don't like drama. <laughs> they like doing away with drama, right? They serve us by assisting the elders. They're not a second house, a counterbalance, like the House of Congress and the Senate, and they're a counterbalance to the elders. No, they actually assist the elders. As, as one author put it, deacons serve to care for the physical and financial needs of the church, and they do so in a way that heals divisions, brings unity under the word, and supports the leadership of the elders. Without this practical service of the deacons, the elders will not be freed up to devote themselves to praying and serving the word to people. Elders need deacons to serve practically, and deacons need elders to lead spiritually. 
God still leads us in word and deed. How? The elders through word, the deacons through deed. So what should we do with deacons? Number one, encourage them. If you see any of them today, just say thank you for your service. What else? How else should we respond to them? We help them. We ask, hey, is there any way I can help? And when they ask for help, we're like, yeah, I'm available for that help. Maybe you're here and you need to be a deacon. Maybe you need to aspire to being a deacon. And even as I'm speaking now, you're like, yeah, that's probably me. If that's you, please come see the elders. We'd love to shepherd you through that so that you may be a deacon. And maybe you're saying, I want to be a deacon, but I don't quite have the character qualifications. That's fine. Take 1 Timothy chapter 3 and start working on those character qualifications. And for those of you who are deacons, remember your office has a promise. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. These are men and women that the church has recognized to serve the practical needs of the church in order that the church may prioritize the mission of the church, the gospel mission of the church, and to promote and preserve the unity God has given us. Now, these are our deacons, capital D, but God has also called every Christian to be a deacon, small d. They are the deacons, capital D. We are all involved in deaconing, in other words, in serving. We are all called to deacon or serve God by deaconing or serving one another. Why? Because we are citizens of the kingdom and siblings in the same family. You see, it's easy to have wrong ideas about service. One extreme is this. The lady who comes to church, she greets people, she helps in the nursery when she can, she goes to connect the marhaba um, table and offers people coffee. Every once in a while, she does babysitting. But because she's nothing up front, she figures, I'm not even serving God, I'm kind of useless, I'm not really a servant of God. The other extreme is the person who says, I'm not doing anything up front. I don't have a beautiful voice like Louise or Michelle. I'm not a leader in anything. No one's asking me to preach. I don't need to come to church. You see the problem there, right? The problem here is you're already serving. You just think that service is only reserved for flashy things, which is wrong. Often the most important service is the one that's not seen. And I think that's the point Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the parts of the body that we don't see are often the most important ones. The problem on this side is pride. I should be doing that. I should be seen. I should be. And it's like, yeah, pride and service kind of work opposite to each other. No, the reason we serve is because, remember, we are an embassy of the kingdom of heaven and we are the household of God because we are citizens and siblings. We have duties and responsibilities to God and to each other. As members of this embassy, we represent heaven, we bind, we bring in, we loose, we see out, we care for one another, we build the body. All of that stuff is what citizens and siblings do. It has nothing to do with gifting. It has nothing with you feeling called or gifted toward anything. It has everything to do with your and my responsibility in this house and in this kingdom. Imagine if I came to you. And I said, uh, me and my wife are fighting, man. Me and Sheila are fighting. And you ask, oh, shame. Why? Why are you fighting? Like, she keeps asking me to do these weird things, like change the diaper, take out the trash, 
clean the toilet. I've been trying to explain to her for 10 years that I am not called to diaper-changing ministry. I'm, I'm just not gifted for taking out trash. No, no, I'm, I'm certainly not called to toilet cleaning. My gifting is in Bible study and family worship. Praise God. <laughs> what would you tell me? Oh, let me pray for you, brother. Your wife is difficult. No! <laughs> you tell me, hey, boss, do you live in that house? Yes. Uh, so do those things need to get done? Yes. So how about you do them, right? I'm a member of that house. I don't get to say, oh, I don't feel called. In the same way, you and I are members of this house. You don't need to be called or gifted or any of that. You just need to be a member of the house and served. That's what First Peter 4 is saying, verse 10 to 11. As each has received a gift, in other words, every single person here who's a Christian has been gifted by God. For what? Use it to serve one another. <laughs> As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, in other words, whoever deacons, as one who deacons or serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? The end goal is this, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, <laughs> we serve because that's what we are built to do. Remember that relationship between worship and service? how it's inseparable, we were built, designed to serve God and serve others. We were redeemed and freed to serve God and serve his church because that is exactly how we serve him. Practical ways of doing that, number one, we gather. Please, please, please don't underestimate how powerfully you are serving each other right now just by gathering. Please, you have had a, had a really dark week from Monday to Saturday. And you will be tempted to think you're alone. But when you come on Sunday and someone else is singing, all I have is Christ, you're like, okay, I'm not alone. You come on Sunday and someone else is singing, oh, how good it is when the family of God walks in unity. You're like, okay, fine. I'm, it might be a dark world out there, but this is the pocket of light, the embassy of the kingdom of God. And think about it. If, if you are part of your national swimming team and you show up for practice on day one and 20 other people came for practice, and you show up on day two and there are 15, you show up on day three and there are five, are you going on day four? No. Because you'll figure clearly no one else takes this thing seriously. Why should I? Is this country even worth swimming for? The same thing happens with us. When we don't gather, we get cold in our faith. The opposite is true. When we gather as pockets of light, individually carrying God's light, we make everything bright. We encourage one another and serve one another by attending members' meetings and prayer meetings to know what's happening in each other's lives, to spur one another on. We encourage one another by hospitality, just opening up our hearts, opening up our homes, greeting people we've never seen before. We encourage one another by discipling, and in that one, you're serving someone else's soul for eternity. <laughs> That's why discipling matters. How do I disciple? Pick a book of the Bible. Or better yet, uh, pick one of these books that I will be offering for free at the bookstore. Why should I love the local church? And the, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The first members of this church to go to the bookstore and write down their names and say, I'm going to read this to the, through the summer with someone, you'll get this book. And whoever else gets your counterpart book, you can read that with them. 
Why? Because that's how you serve one another. That's how we serve one another. We say, I want to grow in my faith. You want to grow in your faith? Great. Let's help each other out. That's deaconing. And the joy, the sheer joy of helping one another and serving one another is a reward in itself. A joy that you can receive without any title in this church. A joy you can receive from helping in the parking ministry. A joy you can receive by saying, hey, I'm going to carpool with people because I know these three people live around my house and they take the bus or they spend too much money on fuel because they have kids, so I'm just going to take them in my car because I'm alone in my car. The, uh, the joy of serving in children's ministry or music ministry. The joy of serving with interns' wives when they come here from a place that is far off, left everything to show up here, they don't know where to shop, they don't know how to get around. How can you serve them? Say, I'm going I'm to help them with that. That service is huge. And you don't need a title or gifting for it. And God recognizes it. It's serving with helping people move the house. Say, I'm free. I'm a member of this church. I hear you're moving. I'll help you with that. Serve by hosting, by hanging out after, by babysitting, by looking at a couple and saying, you guys haven't gone on a date in like three years, so I'm going to babysit your kids and you guys can go. That's service. In fact, today, you can sign up to join a ministry at the back, at Main Hall 2. Go up and say, hey, I'm willing to serve in a ministry. And if you don't know which ministry to serve in, just write your name. It's fine. Try everything. See how that goes. Serve like Daniel Amelraj, who, after every members meeting, goes to the absentia list and calls people to find out how they are and how we can help them come back. Serve like Daniel Sierra, with no title, goes to look for members who he's not seen in a while and serves in the sound booth. Serve like Ifyo Kikiagu, who is helping with children and helping with music. Serve like Naomi Marrero or Graciela Pires or Grace Smith, who bring together the women of this church that they may grow in their faith. Serve like Junie Jones, who babysits children. Serve like Michael Smith, who prays for this church and thinks theologically for the sake of evangelism. None of these people have titles, but they're serving, right? I could name so many more. For those of us who deacon, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, for everyone who serves the church, Jesus says, in Christ, your labor is not in vain. Capital D deacons minister and model service for us. Small D deacons, in other words, all of us, deacon one another. To what end? that the deacon of deacons may be glorified. Friend, you realize even right now, you and I, right now as you sit there, Jesus, the ultimate deacon, is deaconing you as you sit there. How? In word and in deed. He is serving us by giving us elders who will proclaim the word and God's word will transform us as we live by it. But he's also deaconing us through deacons and through our service of each other. People want to know, where are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? They're right there. How do I feel the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? Every time a member hugs you when you're in pain. How do I feel the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? Every time a member brings you coffee because you look like you're about to drop. How do I know the hands and feet of Jesus Christ every time a member prays for you and you didn't even know it? 
but God answered their prayer for you. Do you see? In fact, Romans chapter 15 verse 8 summarizes the whole incarnation, that whole thing of Jesus becoming man, that great doctrine summarized in these few words in Romans chapter 15 verse 8. Christ became a servant. Became a deacon. Or Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus, who though he was in form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He came, lived, died, buried, rose, rules, reigning, and will return. And in the meantime, he lives to serve you. So how about you, friend? Do you know God as servant, as deacon? Oh, I pray that in the words of the song, you would look at him on the cross and realize that love so amazing, so divine, should get back, deserves your life and all your service. And maybe you already know Christ. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're a member of this church. Is the Lord leading you to be a deacon? If that's you, please come see your elders after this. We would love to shepherd you through that. And maybe for you it's more like the temperature has been turned up and you've realized, actually, I need to be serving more. I need to be gathering better or looking for ways and excuses to serve other believers and in so doing serve Christ. If that's you, just go ahead and do it. You have nothing to lose, quite literally, and everything to gain. Oh, but what if I fumble? That fumble will be recognized in heaven as a holy fumble. Done in service of Christ and his people. Only one life it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Grant, O oh God, that today you may lead many to be deacons. Holy Spirit, grant that many today would choose to start deaconing one another, even if it is just by making sure they hang around long enough to get to know the members of the church. Grant that today you may stir us to glorify you, the great deacon of deacons, by deaconing one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.